Thank you for downloading a sermon from the Chapel of the Cross. The Chapel of the Cross is a welcoming, growing, and historic Episcopal Church in Madison, Mississippi. I hope you will join us on Sundays for worship at 7.30 a.m., 8.45 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m., with Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. I also invite you to connect with the chapel online at chapelofthecrossms.org. Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. We pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. No one can serve two masters, for one will either, either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I like puzzles. I enjoy sitting down at a table and working on one of those 1,000-piece puzzles for a couple of hours at a time. I start by turning all the pieces right side up so that I can see what pieces I am looking for. Then I gather all of the edge pieces together and I put those together to make the outline of the puzzle. Then finally, I break the puzzle up by working on specific objects or things or images in the puzzle until I am able to put those together to make the puzzle whole. As you can tell, it's methodic. For me, it's therapeutic. I'm also a neat person. I do not like clutter. I do not like mess. Those tend to stress me out. I like organization. I like, I like clarity. I like for things to have their place. I like tidiness, but I am by no means what is called a neat freak. I can deal with mess. I can deal with discombobulation, which is a fantastic word, by the way, discombobulation. I can deal with chaos, but I prefer orderly. I prefer cleanliness. I prefer ship shape. With that being said, we have this gospel lesson. I struggle with its meaning. I struggle with its, its context. I struggle with how I might apply it to my own life, much less yours, as I am called to do as the preacher today. The parable of a dishonest manager is a puzzle. And yes, as I said, I love puzzles, but I do not like puzzles that have pieces missing. A puzzle that has pieces missing should be thrown out. There's nothing worse than working on a 1,000-piece puzzle. To find at the very end, it is a 999-piece puzzle due to that one lost piece. This parable has pieces missing. 
A lot is up for interpretation, which there has been no shortage of over the centuries. It is not well understood like the prodigal son. It is not as transforming as the great Samaritan. This parable is not neat. It is not tidy and orderly. It is a mess. It is chaotic. But as our bishop Brian Sage is apt to say, from chaos comes creation. As my New Testament professor said, I love all scripture. I love all scripture because no matter its difficulty, there is something to be learned. There is something, always something to be applied. St. Augustine said in regards to our gospel lesson this morning, I can't believe this story came from the lips of our Lord. Well, the fact is it did, or according to the writer of Luke, it did. So let's see if we can't create something from this chaos. Let's see if we can't learn something and apply it to our lives, shall we? A manager is giving his is given his walking papers. Charges have been brought to his boss, the landlord, that he has been squandering his property. We aren't told how the property is being squandered. We aren't told who even brings up the charges. The manager, he does not put up much of a fight, which gives the assumption that he knows he is guilty. Since he knows he is guilty, he concocts a plan because he will be out of a job and will need security for himself. This plan is interesting. It is interesting because the very plan he comes up with is the very reason he was fired. He pays a visit to his master's debtors and he cuts a deal with them. You owe 100 jugs of olive oil. Sit down quickly. Make it 50. You owe 100 containers of wheat. Sit down. Let's make it 80. He is not acting in the interest of his master, but in his own self-interest. And what does his master do? He commends him. He commends him for being shrewd, although really he was just plain dishonest. The master hands him a pink slip and then commends him for doing the very same thing he was fired for, squandering his property. And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He seems to commend the actions of the dishonest manager as well. What are Jesus' disciples to make of this? What are we to make of this? After all, we are Jesus' disciples as well. So he is speaking to us. Shortly after graduating from college, I was in a Bible study at the home of a friend. There were Baptists, Methodists, and my friend who is a Presbyterian. Of course, I was the token Episcopalian every Good, honest Bible study has to have that one token Episcopalian. We were discussing that passage from Matthew that I'm sure you're quite familiar with. That passage about storing up treasures in heaven where neither rust or moth can consume. 
An example was given by someone in the Bible study who has a friend that was training for the ministry. This friend did not believe in saving up for a 401k. Saving for a 401k, it went against his convictions because it went against Matthew's gospel. He thought of saving up for a 401k as as storing up treasures on earth that would not last instead of storing up treasures in heaven. So discussion continued on how admirable this minister in training is because of his conviction. I sat and listened and bit my tongue until it could be bit no longer. That did not make any sense to me. Not saving up for a 401k, not planning for the future because of this passage in Matthew. Guys, this is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. That's what I said. All eyes were now on me. I had to explain myself. Again, that I mentioned I was a token Episcopalian. This is taking this passage from Matthew's gospel far too literally. There you had it. Shots were fired. There was no doubting who the Episcopalian was now. I pushed back on their discussion. I pushed back on their discussion by telling them that God is not concerned with us taking measures to assure comfort for ourselves and for those we love. God would like for us to take measures to assure comfort for our neighbors as well, however. But planning for our future does not interfere with our relationship with God. Planning for our future does not interfere with our relationship with others, with our neighbor. In fact, one may argue that it strengthens those relationships with God and our neighbor. God and the writer of Luke's gospel are more concerned about how money and wealth are used. Is it used to show forth the kingdom of God? Is it used for mercy and compassion? Or is it only used to accumulate more wealth for ourselves? Is it used egregiously and for ourselves alone? Money and wealth are excellent resources. But yes, they are also horrible masters. So therein lies the danger. And therein lies Jesus' warning. Our money and wealth being used to serve God and our neighbor. That is the million dollar question. Perhaps that is the missing puzzle piece. Perhaps that is what we need to tidy up this parable because we cannot serve two masters, God and wealth, but we can use one to serve the other. Even the dishonest manager used money and wealth to build relationships, relationships that would last. Even if even the dishonest manager, who probably cannot be trusted and who we probably would not want to handle our own finances, if even he can use money and wealth to build relationships, how much are we called and how much are we able to do the same? How much are we as Christians expected to use our money and wealth for relationships, for our relationship with God and our relationship with one another? Here's a spoiler alert. Something coming around the corner. We are on the cusp of stewardship season. 
an exciting time here at the chapel when we give thanks for what God has given us while at the same time discerning how we can give back to God and our neighbor through our time, talent, and treasure. We have a little under a month before the stewardship season begins. This is the question I will be thinking about in the meantime, and it is the question I leave with all of you. Even the dishonest manager can use his resources to build relationships. How much can I use what God has given me to strengthen my relationship with God and my neighbor? If even the dishonest manager can use his resources to build relationships, how much can we all use what God has given us to strengthen our relationship with God and our neighbors? Let's think about it. We have some time. Amen.